Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Sandra Grace Susino, who is Director of Business Development for Neighborhood America. Today we will discuss business benefits of mobile marketing and online social networking. Prior to joining Neighborhood America, Sandra was Director of Business Development for a company that was acquired by Microsoft. She was also a consultant and manager at IBM, as well as at Deloitte Media and Entertainment Group. A former Fulbright scholar, Sandra earned an undergraduate degree from Princeton, a master's in computer science from Stanford, and business certifications from Harvard. Sandra, a Miami Beach resident, is originally from New York City. Neighborhood America is a technology provider of online enterprise social networking and mobile phone marketing solutions. Neighborhood America clients include Adidas, HGTV, Scripps Network, Kodak, NBC, Fox News, and Nexus. Sandra, welcome. Hi, Elena. How are you? Great. I'm really excited with this topic because I think it's so hot and there is so much going on, it's hard to keep track. Yeah. So I'm thrilled that you're here to enlighten us. Most of us understand the concept of mobile marketing, but just to be sure, when we're talking about mobile marketing, are we talking only about cell phones or are there other devices? Mobile marketing in particular, as we discuss it in this interview, I will be referring specifically to marketing that occurs over your cell phone. What about social networking? Uh, Social networking is a broader term which mostly includes online and intranet. So think MySpace or YouTube or Facebook functionality only in the enterprise for corporate or media application is more what I'd love to talk about in this interview. Let's start, before we get into the corporate applications, let's start really basic, if you would bear with us, and define what we mean by social networking. You mentioned several examples, but I know there are folks out there who are still not comfortable with the concept and perhaps even not familiar as much as we would think everyone is. So how do you define what is the quote-unquote dictionary definition, although it's probably not in the dictionary yet, right? But how would you define in very basic terms social networking? Yeah, sure, Elena. You know, nothing nothing to be scared about if, if you think about real life before we get into social networking as a technology. In real life, just think about community. Social networking is about building community. So examples in real life would be if you go to church, if you go to the gym, if you go to the supermarket, these are all places where you go to get in touch with your real-life community. Simply extend that real-life example into online or insert a little bit of technology, whether it's mobile or Internet, and you've got yourself a virtual version of a community, uh, which allows you to network and connect in your online world. So, again, think examples would be you know, MySpace functionality, YouTube, Facebook, places where people are congregating online and building community. Okay. If we look at the example that, that you shared or some of the examples that you shared in terms of the social environment, so this is a virtual social environment of sorts, mm-hmm. each one has its own category. So in the examples for a minute ago, you mentioned the supermarket or church. Mm-hmm. What would be the description in terms of the environment for, say, MySpace or YouTube or Facebook? How is each one unique? Yeah, I mean, well, typically what's interesting about social networking is people are connecting around a passion. So in the real-life example of going to the gym, people are passionate about health and fitness. You extend that to the online social networking community, people could be passionate about racing cars and they they congregate online or via mobile. People could be passionate about basketball. People could be passionate about sports. Each community is typically centered around a passion. 
Um, as an example, I'm a member of the online social networking community LinkedIn. Uh, and if anyone who is listening to this radio interview wants to connect with me on LinkedIn, they can look Sandra Grace Cicino up on LinkedIn, which is a business-focused networking site online. So that would be an example of community online that's passionate about connecting with other business people. And so if we look at some of the major social networking sites that are out there right now, LinkedIn, as you mentioned, would be a business forum where people are trying to make business contacts. And MySpace then would be more of a youth-oriented, college-oriented forum. Is that right? MySpace is the market leader right now as far as um, social networking per se. It's very good for musicians and bands. Uh, people are very passionate about music on MySpace and also connecting just socially. Um, there are many artists who have their music posted on MySpace, and you can go and listen to the music and post comments on what you think. And then Facebook? Uh, Facebook, um, I believe currently as we're, as we're conducting the interview, uh, is the, the second market leader as far as general purpose social networking. Um, and it's really interesting because people are kind of creating whatever they want on it. Uh, they're the ones who are building the community into whatever they want it to be. The, these are more social, social examples of social networking communities. Whereas what Neighborhood America does, where I currently work, is focus on more business results-oriented community. So how to use these general types of social networking ideas, but apply it to the enterprise for real business results. The next level, once you've become familiar with the concept of social networking at a social level, then you move up, as it were, in terms of complexity and usefulness in a corporate environment to the corporate social networking function. Is that right? Yeah, it's just how do you, in the case of business, how do you, how do you really listen to your customers? How do you um, present your company and brand name as something that's actually approachable, like a friend, where you're really listening to your consumers and really taking action on their feedback where you are a trusted brand that is actually accessible to your consumers. How does that work? And obviously not all companies want to create such a forum because it, it requires a two-way conversation, right? Yes. Um, a lot of companies are are living and, you know, this is, this is something, this is a huge perceptual shift that's going on in the marketplace. Right now, let's say if I buy if, if I buy a product and I'm not satisfied with it, I will go online. These conversations are existing already. I will go online on my existing online and mobile social networks and tell all my friends, this product is terrible. I'm not going to buy it. These conversations are going on right now, whether you as the corporation like to see that or not. Um, people are... Absolutely posting what they feel, their recommendations, their dislikes, likes, online, and sending text messages to their friends. The question is, do you as a corporation want to be actually listening and involved, or do you want to live in the old school mentality where you think you have total control and you're pushing out one-way messages to your customers? It really doesn't work like that anymore. The whole landscape has changed where people are talking to each other, connecting, texting, online, and they're talking about products um, and products that are recommended to you by your friends. You're much more likely to listen to the recommendation of your peers than to some corporate messenger message that's coming down one way from, you know, a bunch of marketing people sitting in a corporate office. Are we talking about a young demographic? Because when, generally speaking, when we hear about marketing programs that are relating to mobile technologies and online systems, we tend to think that it's a younger demographic because, of course, traditionally they're the first ones, they're the early adopters, as it were. Is that still the case? Elena, this is actually a fascinating statistic. Of course, Generation Y and younger are absolutely fluent in online and mobile technologies, almost as if they 
they don't even exist in real life without their mobile phone attached to them. But in fact, the fastest growing demographic of text message users is adults, ages 45 to 64. According to uh, an, an M-metric study, it just in January 2008. So mobile in particular is not just Generation Y. Do you have any percentage numbers that you can share with us, Sandra? Sure. Uh, which, uh, which type of numbers are you looking for? You, you said a moment ago that the largest or the fastest growing segment are adults in terms of text messages, right? Yes, the fastest growing demographic of text message users is adults, ages 45 to 64. So what percent of adults within that age group are using text messaging? Ah, uh, yes. Well, uh, right now we're talking then about general market statistics as opposed to U.S. Latino statistics, which I'd love to share in this interview. Um, let me give you some numbers that I do have. Uh, in particular regarding mobile phone usage, text messaging in general is currently the fastest growing communication channel worldwide of all time. Text messaging already has twice the reach of the Internet, which, if you can imagine, is huge. If you look at all active cell phones in the United States alone, which is over 220 million users, 96% of all those active cell phones in the USA can be reached by using text messaging. Let's go over those a second. You sure. said there's 220 million. There are over 220 million, at the time of this interview, uh, over 220 million users. Um, of cell phones. Uh, of mobile phones in the USA. Okay, and 96% of those have text messaging capability. 96% of all the active cell phones in the United States can be reached using text messaging. That's a huge percentage. Now that they can be reached and that they're actively using the technology are not the same. Yes. Do we know, do you have any data that you can share with us that says what percent of mobile phone users actually use text messaging on a daily basis? On a daily basis for Generation Y and younger, uh, as far as active texting, mm -hmm. the numbers are huge. I do not have exact numbers for you right now. Oh, I actually do have the numbers. Okay, I'm, I'm looking at a recent Gartner Group study of who sent text messages, who sent text messages in the past month. Very interestingly, females skew a little bit higher across all age groups on who is actually sending text messages. The people who send the most text messages are ages 35 to 54, according to this Gartner Group study. Um, and then with uh, ages 25 to 34 and then 18 to 24 closely following. That's really interesting. Yeah. I would have thought that the group that sent the most text messages would have been tweens and teenagers. And you're saying they're not even in the top three. According to these statistics of who sent text messages in the past month, but, you know, statistics are what they are. The, the, the bottom line is that people are texting, and how do you take advantage of this for your business? What are they texting? Because I think it's important to understand not just that they're doing it, but what are they using the texting capability for? Sort of like if you turn on your television, are you watching public television programming? Are you watching sports? Are you watching science fiction? What are they doing with the text messaging capability? According to this Gartner Group study, the overall growth in text messaging is driven by two Several factors, one of which is adults who are texting to talk while they're in meetings. So there's a secondary conversation going on. And two is parents who are texting their kids. Because the kids, uh, you know, e e email is kind of old school for Generation Y and younger. That's what your parents do. Texting is the way younger generations are communicating with, with their friends and their peers. So if, if you want to have your company be perceived as, a friend, 
really get into the mobile space and communicating that way. Mobile phone is the most personal, one of the most personal devices. So when you get savvy about how to use it, it really makes you an innovator in marketing the products and services that you provide. And it yields great response rates, higher than Internet advertising and direct mail. If, as you say, adults have embraced this in terms of their own use and in order to better communicate with their kids, since their kids like the technology, how can marketers reach out and integrate mobile marketing into their existing campaigns and programs? This is exactly the question that Adidas asked Neighborhood America when there was the NBA All-Star event in Las Vegas. Uh, Let me give you this example to bring it to light and tell you the story. So um, during NBA All-Star Week in Las Vegas, hundreds of thousands of people are flying into Las Vegas to uh, get involved in basketball, to see the stars, etc. Something on the order of 500,000 people fly in just for that weekend. Um, Adidas said, hey, listen, we have a store in Las Vegas. How are we going to drive people to our store during that event and sell our products, our sneakers, our shoes? So... Uh, Neighborhood America, along with the advertising agency, Cara North America and uh, Isobar, came up with the idea to, um, to do a very interesting mobile marketing campaign where the overall media buy, in, a portion of that budget inclu- the, of the dollars were specifically allocated to using mobile, to talk to people, to communicate with people. In that campaign, there were taxi top advertisements, there were billboards, there was traditional advertising, and at the bottom of that traditional advertising was a call to action. It was not a 1-800 number, which is kind of the older school way of doing it. It was, if you're interested in more information, send a text message into Adidas. And we provided what's called a short code where people could take their mobile phone, send in the word Adidas to the short code, and right back to their mobile phone, within seconds, they would get information. In this case, the information was uh, information on hot events that were going on that weekend in Las Vegas, exclusive invitations where um, athletes would be signing sneakers. And um, I could give you some statistics from that campaign. Within 20 minutes of distributing a mobile alert, to those that opted into the campaign regarding a limited shoe release, a mob appeared outside the Adidas store within 20 minutes to snatch up the product, and store revenues increased 20 times above sales recorded on an average day. So that's an example of how to get people interested, get them to opt in using a mobile phone, provide them information that they're interested in, and drive them to buy a product or drive them to a live event. Now, was that a one-time effort? Excellent question. The answer is no, because Adidas was smart enough to say, hey, now that we had all of these people opt in with their mobile phones, how do we extend this campaign? The campaign is still running. In fact, if you get on adidasbasketball.com, you can see the extension of the campaign. What, what happened is when people decided to opt in with their cell phones to get more information, Adidas, in effect, was creating a mobile community of people around the passion point of basketball, athletics, live events. And so the, it was very smart to extend the campaign because why build something and then just throw it away and not get any value after that? The way Adidas extended the campaign was with a concept called Basketball is Brotherhood. Um, The campaign targeted boys and girls ages 13 to 19 in this case. Uh, It featured top stars such as Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan, and Tracy McGrady. Um, Mobile viewers who clicked on a text ad were sent to a specially built mobile website that Neighborhood America built something that you could easily view on your mobile phone. And from there, you can choose a handful of options 
including tailored voicemails from the players, um, specialized ringtones, wallpapers you could download. I do have statistics on the uh, success of the campaign extension. Um, I have that 5 million mobile impressions drove 75,000 page views to the mobile site in the first week of the campaign extension. And about 8,000 people opted in, providing their cell phone numbers to receive more information. Um, about 1,000 of those people actually clicked to call Kevin Garnett from their cell phones, and about 18% of those repeated to call him again. So the, the research found that mobile, the mobile part of a campaign outperformed all other media for driving opt-ins and at a fraction of the cost. So the bottom line is that in the overall media campaign, mobile marketing was a percentage of the budget that yielded the best results, real marketing results that were quantified um, by, by researchers. The, the internal branding study of the impact of the Adidas case showed a 69% increase in, in intent to purchase Adidas products. Huge, huge numbers. Did you track actual purchases in any way? Um, I do know that when we did the primary campaign, we, we did track the store revenues, which increased 20 times above the sales recorded on an average day. What about gender, Sandra? Was this gender specific in any way? I do not have numbers on gender regarding the Adidas campaign in particular. Um, but I can tell you that both male and female are texting uh, in a very fluid way. Um, I, I'm not sure if, if Adidas would attract more men based on the concept of basketball and sneakers. I'm not sure. Um, Neighborhood America also did a campaign for Nexus hair care products during Fashion Week, and we just did not track gender, but I would assume that more females would be interested in hair care products and, and fashion than males, but you never know. Those you, are not numbers that we track. Yeah, you talked about, and these are all early stages of the, the whole concept, so of course everybody is trying to, I think, first ascertain how effective they are. When you mentioned Adidas and the next stage of the campaign, you talked about a mobile site. In other words, a site that was specifically designed for cell phone access, mobile access. Yeah. And that leads me to the next question, which is, so now we're saying that this particular audience not only was using their mobile phones and had text, text messaging capability, but we're also saying, if I understand correctly, that a, a very high percentage of them had access to the Internet through their mobile phones. Is that right? Yes, Elena, you're exactly right. Um, in this particular case, Neighborhood America provided a technology where if your mobile phone could view... Um, pages. The, um, we, what we did was we built a page specifically formatted for easy viewing on mobile phones. If your mobile phone was capable of viewing it, you could see it, and it was it was beautiful and elegant, very simple. If your mobile phone was not capable of having internet access but only receiving short messages, then it would automatically cater to the lowest common denominator of your phone. For, for easy viewing. Did so, you track what percent of that audience indeed had access to the Internet or used that access if they had it to reach your website? I do not have those numbers in front of me right now, but it is part of our typical reporting metrics as far as I understand. It's interesting because, of course, it's, it's that much more complex and perhaps even exciting from the marketing perspective because you're taking the texting to the next level. Now you're driving your audience to a website and engaging them through that website, assuming, I'm assuming that's what you wanted to do long term, right? You're exactly right. And, you know, in, in Neighborhood America's case, we not only provide the mobile marketing portion of what you want to do, 
but we actually build the entire online community for you. So in our experience, the best thing is to use mobile and then drive people into the entire online community, which is a richer, more robust experience. We do it across both. Yeah, one of the the comments that I hear mostly from the older generations is, and this goes along the lines of the the small viewers as well in terms of the the equipment itself. But the question that I hear from older folks, those who wear glasses in particular, is that they find it annoying to go online using their cell phones or mobile phones because the screen is so small. And likewise, when they're using players, because the screens are tiny. And so what I hear them say is, well, why should I watch a movie on my cell phone or on my player when I can just do it on my computer or on my television? I've got a big television with a big screen. Why should I bother playing it on a small device? Elena, they're right. They're exactly right. You know, what the what a lot of people in the industry are doing wrong right now, and this drives me nuts, is they think is that they're not understanding the psychology of the mobile user. It is absolutely right that mobile phone is appropriate for certain things, for certain types of behavior, for certain activity. And online is a totally separate experience. These people are exactly correct. They should not be forced to watch things in their mobile phone. That makes no sense. That's why Neighborhood America actually custom designs things that are easily viewable on a mobile phone with the psychology and behaviors in mind of the mobile user. The mobile user is a totally different psychology and has different needs than the person who's sitting online. For example, mobile user wants things right away. They don't need a beautiful design coming in that takes forever to download. They don't need something that's impossible to read. They want the information they want right away. So. When you're designing for mobile and you're designing campaigns for mobile, you want to design for that person who needs the instant gratification right now. And then later on, you could drive them to the online experience, which has better graphics, you know, and all the things that that you just talked about. Are they perhaps then similar to what has traditionally become the early adopters? In other words, this first group that is so reliant on mobile technology, are they the early adopters that are leading the charge? Um, the, way I, the way I think about it, Elena, I just think that sometimes it's the same people. <laughs> sometimes it's the very same people. I mean, for myself, I use online and mobile, and I'm just one person. I use them at different points in time. So you're integrating them into your communications mix. You're exactly right. This is the key point that people are missing. You you want to do an overall. Um, you want you want all of your media to be um, connected together. So it's really great if you do a mobile campaign that drives people later on when they have time into the online experience, the online community as well. This reminds me of when the Internet started getting noticed by the mainstream, and I would hear people say, well, so do I do the Internet? And does that mean that I stop making brochures and that I disconnect my phone? Mm -hmm. And the answer, of course, was no. It's like an online brochure. It's just one more tool that you have access to. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. There is no... There's no threat to traditional media here. They're simply, okay, here's an, another way, and let's incorporate all of it. In fact, the, the reason that the Adidas campaign was so successful and gave such real marketing results, and in fact, Neighborhood America won a Mobile Marketing Association Award along with Isobar for the work, is that it, it led to those numbers of success because it was integrated very beautifully and intelligently with the rest of the traditional media buy. So, for example, you know, you're already, you're already spending some money on billboards, on TV, on radio. Put the, put the call to action as 
if you're interested in more, then text in. Put that on your traditional media, a specific call to action, and let people respond with their most personal device, uh, their mobile phone. Now, going back to the the initial discussion of, okay, so how do you take the mobile marketing and the social networking and integrate them to better serve your customers? Is there a direct link between the two, as in the Adidas case that you just shared with us? Do they need to be used together, or can you use one without the other? You can use one without the other. Um, it depends on your on who who your audience is. Let, let's, if you don't mind, let, let's talk about U.S. Latinos for a second, and what's so interesting because I've given you general market examples with with top brand names. Okay. Uh, okay. Just you know, because I, I want to talk about something that might be appropriate to your listeners. You have to understand who your market is. In in the case of this interview, it's. Um, talking to people who are interested in the Hispanic market. Here, here's, here's what's interesting about the Latino, U.S. Latino and Hispanic market. They're online. They view 15% more web pages and spend 9% more time online than the general market, U.S. Latinos. Um, second, they use their cell phones for more than just talking, the U.S. Latino market is highly social, and they're 87% more likely than the general population to listen to music on their mobile phones, to view videos, etc. And thirdly, what's interesting about the U.S. Latino market is that they have money to spend. A quarter of them are very likely to make large electronic purchases in the next year, such as flat screen TVs, laptops, or satellite radio. And they're absolutely recommending to each other and their peers and their family, they're absolutely sharing their opinions. Are these markets, because as we know, the Latino market isn't a single market, but rather a number of smaller markets that we put under this big umbrella, are these markets showing any differences in terms of their follow-up or their response to these campaigns and to the social networking itself? The, the concept is relatively new and innovative in general, but in particular for um, the, the Hispanic and Latino markets. What... When you look at specifically mobile usage among Hispanic households, this is really interesting to me. 75% of Hispanic households have more than one mobile phone and use them more than any other form of personal or handheld technology on the market today. So no matter what economic status, the mobile phone is the luxury that is allowed. And there's typically more than one in that household. Is that exceptional? Because I thought that was very similar to the numbers in the mainstream. These numbers are exceptional among among um, among Hispanic. The more than more than half of of this market regularly uses text messaging. So you know this group is really leading the pack. Um, as far as Year-on-year year increases in text messaging among Hispanics, text according to uh, according to an M metric study last year, text messaging has increased 39% year over year among Hispanics alone. And so these these numbers are huge. 32% uh, are interested in receiving mobile offers and ads according according to a mobile marketing association study last year, and uh, responding. To mobile marketing text messages is up 20 percent versus 2006, and this is just—I'm just talking about Hispanic alone. Can Hispanic we go? Can we go back a second though, and sure? put to put it into context because these seem very similar in my mind to some of the mainstream stats. When you say 75 percent of Latino households have more than one mobile phone. Do you know what the number is for the mainstream market? I mean, don't most mainstream households have more than one mobile phone? 
depends how you group mainstream. But what's particularly notable about Hispanic households uh, and Latino culture is the high, high level of, how do you say, socialness, social ability. Um, it's, it's the need to have lots of friends versus one or two, which maybe the general market would be more inclined to maybe have one or two friends. There's something in particular about the Hispanic and Latino market that values this high level of social interaction, especially within their family and in their household, which is really interesting and important, I think, to understand then, considering this already social culture, how do you apply the technology in a smart way that allows for these social connections? And then beyond that, how do you, how do you improve your business using it? Then that was the question that I was going to ask you. If the use of the technology right now is relegated to communicating with other family and friends and for entertainment, like listening to music, does it translate into uh, commercial purposes or commercial uses? And is there any evidence or any case studies that you can share with us that indicate higher than average response to those? Um, what I did learn very recently at the Hispanic Marketing Conference in Miami, uh, which is, in fact, where you and I met, Elena, um, I don't know if you remember um, uh, Christy Halbecker's talk where she was discussing Latino youth trends. Very, very informative. Um, but one thing that, that she mentioned, which I think is relevant, is that content itself creates community content that people are passionate about. And when you look at Latino values and la the Latino market, there's almost, as she said, a bi-identity going on where they're not just consuming Latino-oriented content, they're also consuming mass market content very fluidly. So there's an extension to the general market in, in a very fluid way. There's almost, a, you know, a, a bicultural. There's, I'm Latino and I'm American. In fact, I'm primarily English dominant. And I have access to all this content, regardless of the language. Which could potentially translate into very good news for marketers who are struggling with ways to reach these audiences without having to translate their campaigns and create dedicated Spanish language websites and campaigns, right? Yeah, you don't have to, you know... The, the statistics show that more young Latinos speak English. They're English dominant. Um, and that the language itself is not the identity. It's about culture, not the language. That said, it, I think it is smart to allow your community to communicate in whatever language they want, even if it's Spanglish. Be, provide the, use the technology, whether it's online community or mobile, in a way that lets you listen to what they're saying about you and your business and lets them communicate however they want to communicate, English, Spanglish, whatever. Okay, and that brings me to where we started originally on the social networking end. How do you convert that? All of this knowledge that we have now about mainstream and Latino audiences and now knowing this by-identity concept is strong, how do you translate that into the social networking side of things for your company Exactly, yeah, that, and that's the million-dollar question. What you do, Elena, is you recognize the general market trends, and then if you look at Latino and Hispanic community in general, realizing that high level of sociability, and use the technology to provide the environment where they can communicate, where they can post. Um, here, let, let me give you an example from, from general market because we talked a lot about mobile, but we didn't talk about necessarily online. This example might bring things to light. Um, do you know Home and Garden's television network? Not really. It's, it's owned by Scripps Network. It's a whole channel on cable that focuses on things of interest re re relating to home and garden and, and you know, all, all that sort of thing. It's not a Latino network per se. But a lot of people are very passionate about their homes, about design. Of course, and that's a very strong part of the Latino culture. That too, although HGTV um, is, is not Latino 
focus per se like Mundo or like Telemundo. It's a general market station that doesn't, you know, doesn't it's open to everybody. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you an example now of how we used online to build and retain that community in a way that made sense for the business. Um, in HGTV's case, their business question was, how do we increase our ad revenue? <laughs> right now we have a website where there are advertisers who want to put ads on our site, and we don't have enough room on our site to accept all these ads. So, you know, high, high quality problem. We'd all like to have it. Right. But neighborhood America's Neighborhood America created what's called Rate MySpace. It's a community for, for HGTV. It's a community online of design enthusiasts. Members of this community upload images of their newly remodeled rooms. Anyone can do it. If you're in, you know, who knows, the middle of nowhere, United States, and you did a great job redesigning a bathroom. You can take pictures, upload it to Rate My Space on HGTV, which is a brand name website, and you can get comments and ratings and inspiration from your peers. Not let alone the chance to be recognized on, on HGTV. The numbers on this online community were very interesting. In just 15 weeks, community membership online soared to 20,000 members. And page views skyrocketed to more than 10 million page views and continued to grow daily. On the business tip, here's what's fascinating. Every new page of content that viewers are creating for free and uploading creates new advertising space for HGTV and generates new advertising revenue. So the, te the technology solution that Neighborhood America provided paid for itself many times over. Uh, in, in a nutshell, how do you get the, the users and viewers to do all the work and, and you collect the ad revenue? Um, you, you do that by providing them something they're passionate about and the chance to be heard, to be listened to, to be rated on by their peers, the chance for recognition in this particular case. Every, but this is an example of building an online community where everybody won. The network got additional ad revenue in a big way. The users got the chance to be recognized. And then even just casual viewers who didn't want to be a member of the online design community had a veritable library where if they were redesigning their room, they had a resource where they could go and... Um, you know, if, if I want to redesign my, my bedroom in a Victorian style, I don't know, I don't know much about redesign, I had a place to go where I could see what other people did. This solution created value for everybody. These How do you apply that to the U.S. Latino market? I leave that to your and your listeners' imagination. Well, but here's the question that is not so specific. Yeah. And that is, Social networks are starting to sprout everywhere. Every time I turn around, somebody else is embracing the concept of social networking and trying to find ways to generate revenue from it. Yep. How do you, as a small, medium, large company representative who's listening to this discussion, how can you take that concept and make it work for you without becoming one more? How can you be unique? How can you be a resource for your audience and at the same time generate revenue or position, whatever it is that your company goals are? Another million-dollar question, and here's, here's my answer. You build the community, whether it's online or mobile, to directly address your business issues. If you don't do this, you're making a big mistake. Um, here's the wrong way to do it, just to give an example. To throw up on your website a button that says, join our community, and think that people are going to go there. Survey says, no. Wrong way to do it. Why would I join yet another community that, you know, who knows what value it's going to provide me, let alone value to the business. What I recommend is that you take the second to really identify why you're doing this in the per first place. Why do you want to build this community? What will drive people to 
to go on and become a member, what will make them keep coming back, and most importantly of all, what business results will you get from it? In, and you notice in, in neighbor, pick, pick the expert that will help you do it in a way that addresses your business issues. In every example I've given you today, Elena, you notice I always talk about the business reason for doing this. If you don't start with that in mind, you're going to build a community that's just some floppy community that no one's ever going to go on. In the Adidas case, I told you their, their um, business goal was to drive people to their store in Las Vegas. We built that mobile community specifically to accomplish that business goal. In the Home and Gardens Television Network example, their goal was to create more online space, real estate, where their advertisers can put ads. And we specifically designed the community so that to, to achieve that goal. In the case of Nexus during Fashion Week, their business goal was to reposition their brand, to be looked at not just as a hair care product that you could buy, but to be looked at almost as a consultant for hair care, a trusted name brand. In that case, we built the community specifically to achieve the goal of repositioning their brand. So, you know, in a nutshell, start with a clear understanding of your business reasons for doing it and build it in a way that incents your community to keep coming back. Okay, is there some sort of a checklist? So you've given us the first two things that you need to think through. Make sure that you have a clear goal and that it's a match for your audience. Are there any other items that are a must in order to have an effective, successful social networking site? How can people decide if this is for them? Yeah, you know, in my my view is, and, and I, you know, I, I think that this is this is true the way Neighborhood America looks at it. At a certain level, it's really not about the technology at all. It's about Understanding the psychology of your users and viewers, uh, it's about being creative in your implementation. The, the technology will change. Right now we're talking a lot about online and mobile. W- what it comes down to is how do you, how do you build this community? So it, it's a change in thinking. I think that one of the best things you could do is align yourself with, with a specialist. You know, for example, it's, it's it's like any other profession. There, there's a certain amount of consulting involved, I think. It's not just buying a technology and implementing it. It's about really, really taking the time to to sort through everything and, and discuss it with, in my opinion, specialists who think this way all day long. Well, that brings me to the next question, which I know some of our listeners out there are thinking, which is, Okay, you guys specialize in working with very large corporations and have specialized teams and people who do this all day, as you just shared with us. Right. What about the little guys? What about public service campaigns? What about nonprofits? Is this a venue for them? And if so, can you do it on a shoestring? This is, this is a good question. Um, let me tackle first the, the sort of nonprofit or public sector. Because Neighborhood America has done a lot of work for the public sector. In fact, we started out back in 1999 or so only doing public sector and government work. That's how we grew. And then about five years ago, media became sexy and hip, and then we, we were doing more, more of that. But um, you're asking how to do this on a shoestring. It's it's not necessarily about doing it for cheap. It's about doing it in a way that provides value, which is why I'm so strongly suggesting that people think about their business reasons for doing it before they do it. So, for example, let's say let's say I'm going to go do my taxes. I have you know some complicated taxes I got to get done. I'll hire a specialized accountant to consult me through the process and to even do it for me and be my partner through that whole experience. Um, I'm not going to necessarily hire the cheapest accountant. 
I'm going to hire the one that, that I'm trusting and that's going to provide me the best value and the one that will help me find the correct and legal write-off and, and stuff like that. It's like any other profession. Let, let, me, let me give you a public sector example that we did in case it could, in case it could spark additional questions. Um, Neighborhood America did the Imagine New York campaign. We were the technology partner for the committee that was put together after 9-11. Uh, that committee wanted to listen to the views of the people on, hey, how should we design this memorial? So Neighborhood America was the technology behind uh, accepting the comments and feedback and suggestions of the people. Uh, this, is a, this is a nonprofit and public sector example. Uh, the, the major business issue is how do you listen to the feedback of a lot of very passionate and emotional people? How do you use technology to do that? Um, the public in this case submitted over 20,000 ideas for the redesign of the World Trade Center. And from firehouses to classrooms, all, the, all these forms of public communication were managed through one single database, which was Neighborhood America's solution. These... I, I don't know that there is any other way to listen to so many people, not not efficiently. And so it's it's, it's less about the while dollars are important, it's less about doing it on a shoestring and more about doing it in the way that is efficient, that that is valuable, that saves you time, that achieves the business result. It's a slight shift in thinking. When here's here's the way. It's not like going to a store choosing between three options and then and then uh, making your choice, usually the cheapest one. It's not that type of shopping. It's about your brand. <laughs> it's about your whole brand identity, your social network, and the environment you are creating for people to communicate. So think about it like this. Let's say, Elena, you're opening a restaurant. Do you want to open up the cheapest looking restaurant, maybe maybe you do, or maybe you want to design one that creates this environment that brings in a certain type of people and keeps them coming back. It's the same thing only online. It's the same thing only mobile. The issue remains, though, if you have a very small budget or no budget other than perhaps staff time, how do you determine if this is a good tool for you? And if if so, if it's a match for your concept or campaign or goals, how do you get started? Because if you don't have the resources of Nexus or Adidas or any of the other large corporations in the country that have the wherewithal or the ability to hire people who have the wherewithal, does that automatically exclude you from the social networking environment? Are you better off trying to piggyback on somebody else's? What options do you have? What options do you have as a smaller business? Or as a nonprofit? As a nonprofit, you absolutely have access to this technology. This technology and these concepts, it does not have to be expensive at all. Um, in certain cases, I don't know better ways of doing it than this way. <laughs> Um, I think that the the way to do it is to research the, the leaders in that space, explain to them the business results that you want, and simply ask them, you know, what solutions can they recommend? This is a very consultative experience as far as picking picking the right partner uh, for your social networking um, or mobile marketing needs. Yeah, um, you know, and it does not always have to be expensive. Uh, the, if there's no, you know, I think the best thing to do is to is to do your research, and then call, just call the people that you think can help you, and ask them straight up, you know, what would be involved in this. Typically, in in our in our experience, we've seen that mobile marketing campaigns are a percentage of a total budget across all different kind of media. Those are the most successful mobile marketing campaigns we've seen. Um, and so I think that case by case, make an inquiry and, and see what you get. 
don't you know just because in neighborhood america's case just because we've worked with some of the top brand names does not mean we're not working very successfully with public sector and nonprofit as well we absolutely are so there's hope for small budgets and no budgets there's in you know neighbor straight up neighborhood america is a company for profit so we won't there's no no budget example in our case we are a for profit company um, it's worth doing research if you want to do it all by yourself there are other ways that you can do it if you want to do it successfully and well i recommend you pick the partner and you put you put a budget behind it because this is your brand name now that brings me to another question that often comes up when you're looking at new strategies in particular, and that is measurement. What can you tell us in, in a brief way about measuring the success for these tools, mobile marketing and social networking? What tools do you use to measure your results? Uh, in, in the case of Neighborhood America Solutions, we provide full reporting um, for our mobile marketing that is completely accessible to the customer. Uh, and in the case of our online social networking solutions, you actually have an entire team that is at your disposal 24-7, both on the project management side and the product management side. This is another example of how it's not just about the technology. It's about having dedicated professionals ready and there to serve you and specialists. Well, for those who may want to do this on their own or who may not have the resources to hire a company like yours, mm-hmm. what specific tools would you recommend for measuring the results of their efforts? In the case of mobile marketing, when people respond, when people text in to a short code, you have their mobile phone number. So, you know, theoretically, you can you can slice and dice those. You could find out. Theoretically, you could do reverse lookups. I mean, there there are privacy issues and uh, standards set by the Mobile Marketing Association, but. When someone texts in, you have their mobile number. So you, you can get very good stats on, on who is responding. It, it is kind of like in the old days, the, the 1-800 number, only now you have even more robust information, their entire cell phone number and, and reverse like the lookup capability. Is there software that's specifically geared for this, or are there companies that specialize in measuring mobile and social networking programs? We, I mean, we do. We we provide the we provide the reporting right back to you. Um, I think that it it is important in any media buy that you get some sort of metrics and you don't just waste your money. That you have uh, in the case of mobile marketing, it's very much direct response. You should the the whoever whatever partner you choose should be helping you to track what's going on. Thank you, Sandra, for joining us today from Miami Beach. Thank you. I'm very happy for the opportunity to talk to you and everyone. We're happy that you had the time to share all of this interesting information with us. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Sandra Gray Susino, who is Director of Business Development for Neighborhood America, who discussed business benefits of mobile marketing and online social networking. Brought to you by Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com providing you essential information on America's largest minority. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com. For information on downloadable audio recordings about Marketing to Multicultural Kids, presented by Michelle Valdovinos, who is Senior Vice President of Phoenix Multicultural. Hispanic Perspectives on Advertising, presented by Liria Barbosa, who is Research Director of CNR Research. The Changing Latino Landscape, 
presented by Cesar Malgoza, who is Managing Director of Latin Force Group. Best in Class Hispanic Strategies, presented by Carlos Santiago, who is President, and Doreen Allen, who is Managing Partner of the Santiago Solutions Group. Segmentation by Level of Acculturation, presented by Miguel Gomez Weinbrenner, who is Senior Consultant of Cheskin, and many other downloadable presentations, visit our resources section at www.hispanicmpr.com backslash resources backslash hmpr hyphen products. That's hispanicmpr.com backslash resources backslash hmpr hyphen products. Or click on the resources button at the top of the hispanicmpr.com website.